House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. So our guest uh, is uh, Richard uh, Shelby. A lot of people will know him from his book, Hunting a Psychopath. And that was the East Area Rapist Original Night Stalker Investigation. And he's from the uh, the original uh, investigator. So, uh, Richard, thank you for taking the time. I know you're probably really busy. Yeah, I'd be here to help out, do what I can. So, so yeah. were you surprised? When they caught him? Yeah. No, I, I wasn't. I received a call. I think when he was arrested the other day, I received a call the evening before. And I was like my partner, Carol Daly, partner at the time. She said, they're booking right now. And then uh, as soon as he was booked in, they could do it. One of the arresting officers called up and told me about it. And then one of the investigators from the East office called up and told me about it as soon as it was okay to release the information. Now, now, he now he, he's a cop. So how how is that? He was a cop in Exeter. I mean, first... Nobody had a clue who this guy was. We didn't have nothing on him at all. He never crossed our radar once. And as it turns out now, the detectives are finding out, he was a cop at Exeter, and he was he was vice city ransacker. But let me lean back up even further. King Clark from the homicide detail in the Sacramento Sheriff's Department found a uh, microfilm film of reports in the 70s that we all thought were gone. He found evidence that the year was here in December 1972, that was in Rancho Cordova. An individual in, in Cordova with this was laid to go down. Uh, his dog beaten to death. I think he beat so bad they had to put it down. Oh, no. And what he found out was a suspect or somebody was going through somebody's backyard at night and they would go over the fence into the yard where this dog was and they beat it to death. Well, that was 1972. In January of 73, I got written down someplace. I think it was January 73, there was a rape of two sisters, and it was the same method as the East Area Rapist. I say that because of physical descriptions, and the first thing he said to him was, all I want is your money, and that's what the year told all of them. And then you have a series of burglaries with a distinct M.O. of the Visalia Ransacker, and Visalia, where the guy was breaking into houses and whatever the hell he was doing, and steal stuff down here and play himself, I think. And uh, it was... Uh, Things like he would block all the front doors, you know, make escape exits, he would turn off anything made noise. Sometimes, mostly down there, he took uh, junk jewelry and not much of it, just odds and ends, silver coins, and that kind of stuff. Up here, he was doing the same thing. He was seen three times up there. Each time, they said he's a kid, 15, 16 years old. He, and once he saw it was seen running from the scene, and he would describe the pear shape didn't run very well. In one of those burglaries, a bunch of silver dollars were taken, or silver coins of some kind, and $82 bills. Well, I don't know exactly what the timeline was, a few days, a few weeks. A 15-year-old kid in North Highlands, which is a few miles away, was spending silver coins and $2 bills. And the clerk, who was 19 himself, told the guy, oh, no, don't do that, they're worth more in your face value, oh, you suck out my mother, I'll get more. And then all of a sudden they stopped. I think it was in the March, end of March, late March, they just stopped. It's all the cat burglaries. So we don't know who that was. But then in 
Visalia, 1974-75, you got all these ransacker burgers, and the guy goes in, ransacks, takes that stuff, steals men's clothing, tosses women's clothing around, just threw it all over the place, ransacked the place quite a bit. And then uh, he went into the Snelling residence trying to abduct the young daughter, and he murdered her father, who's Professor Snelling. And then a few weeks later, a couple months later, I guess, I say PD had Officer McGowan and others on stakeout. McGowan confronted the guy. The guy shot at him. He shot through a hole in the fence. Hit the flashlight McGowan was holding up. Fortunately, wasn't in front of his face. And knocked McGowan down. The guy got away. What they now know is he was a police officer at Exeter. That's why he, he left. He's already copped out. The cops, he did this. And he left. He came up here. because He couldn't get a little hot down there. I have heard, but don't know it, and it figures. His parents lived real close to where all these rigs went, burglaries and rigs went down in, in Rancho Cordova. And just as a side on that, 1976, early 1976, I investigated the rigs. Eight of the rigs he did occurred in blocks of where his parents lived. Well, all these rigs in Cordova, if I understand it correctly, occurred very close to where his parents lived. So that's including anybody working several rigs. Rigs may not hit in his own neighborhood, but will in his parents' neighborhood. During these so, things, like the the Vesalia ransackers, how how could you? What made you decide that it was no longer um, the rapist? Like the uh, like, how could you tell them apart when they're doing the same things? Okay, they, they weren't. They were doing mostly the same things. Where there were some differences, but what really got me, and when I did the book, I tried real hard not to say you know positive about this and this and this. But I got to the point it became positive. There was two people. By saying up here, they could have known each other. There's so many similarities. But under hypnosis, you got two different people. First, you got all these witnesses, Saul Prowler. Then you have two people, McGowan and uh, Beth Snelling, McGowan, daughter of the guy she, she killed her father. Under hypnosis, they give a description of one guy. And under McGowan was the best. The guy was basically fat. He ran knock knee and he couldn't jump the fence. He'd climb over it. Up here, the guy was about 5'9", and there was something about that, too. John Clemmer, he was. He was 5'9". He was pretty solid, and he, he could run, hit a fence with one hand, go right over it, be across the field or the yard, and to the fence, going over that in no time. They are not the same, what, no matter what you say. They're just not. Yeah. No, I, I was just going to say, it, it, did you expect him, the killer, to be a, a, a cop? or some sort of law enforcement, or did that ever run across your mind? It, it did. When I, when I put together the book, when I was working the case, and we, we wondered about all kinds of things, when I put together the book, what I did was a, a report. went back and I took statistics and tried to round the curves off of it, the edges off of it, and make it so somebody would read it. But I, you, you couldn't sit back and say, he's obviously this or this or this. There was indications he was construction, that he was in medicine, that he was in education, he could have been a security. 
security guard, some things you could have been a cop. Any one of those things could have applied. There, there was nothing to say, yeah, that's it. And he's clever enough, but he might have done some of that on purpose. When I say clever enough, I had uh, two or three witnesses, usually the kids and the victims, that said he kind of walked kind of slouched out or bow-legged. What Bastard was doing was trying to hide his height. He was clever enough to figure. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, that's what he was doing. That's why everybody says he's five. I, I said many times to people, he's absolutely not over five foot nine. If that well, I couldn't have been further off base if I tried. <laughs> wow. So, so what? What? What was it that finally made you think that he was a cop? I don't think anybody did. I think when they got the DNA and they started running down on this guy, they did four months background on him when they finally found out possible suspect. As I understand it, Paul Holmes, who was a trained chemist, that became an investigator for the East Office Country Custer County. He's the one that developed the DNA on profile on East Fair Rapids to start with. And they just went that, they went, went to, they put together some kind of a profile DNA and they went surfing through these various genealogy websites and started finding people that seemed to match. And then they started breaking it down from there. And they started running down different people, but everybody just fit the pattern. And one guy fit the pattern, that, that was this jerk. It had to be him at that point. But nobody, I mean, Paul Holt himself was convinced the guy was into some sort of you know, architectural construction, housing development, that kind of stuff. Nobody really figured out he was about. Well, th thinking back to uh, to the profile that you gave us when you were giving us a brief beginning history of it, he already showed sociopathic tendencies. This, whoever the ear was, yeah, he did. As far as the the suspect, I don't know when he didn't, he wasn't born that way, so I don't know when he started doing this. But he apparently was doing it out in Exeter, I guess the name of the town. But I can't answer for what they were doing down there. Somebody should have picked up on it, but I guess not. Matter of fact, they interviewed his ex-partner, and I didn't have a clue. So the guy was just one of the guys. He just, you know, there's nothing to indicate he was anything wrong with it. Yeah, it seemed like there was an escalation. You know, we're starting with small break-ins and bigger break-ins and a little more bold, and almost as if as if the shooting was unplanned, and he just got lucky. So let's move locations and start all over again, like you said. Of the light and they had a 45 in their face, so you know, there's not a whole lot. 
thought they could do at that point, but you're right. There's a word for the progression, paraphilia or something, like P-A-R-P-I-L-L-A or something, and what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so he would put plates on the back of the person he wasn't going to rape, usually the husband, um, to, to, to make sure so if he heard any noise. Um, what other sort of things was he doing to, to protect himself? Usually the husband, um, to, to, to make sure so if he heard any noise. Um, what other sort of things was he doing to, to protect himself? At all those rates, he, first he would, he would really prowl a, a neighborhood. He didn't just drive by and spot one. He knew the area well. How he found the victims, I just, I had to assume that he just followed it. Because many of them, the only thing they had in common was, I think three in succession were at Pizza Parlor, three others were at Alpha Beta Market. A bunch of them were downtown Sacramento, places he had spotted. But if he was a copper, had access to that stuff, he could run a D&B and he's got it, he knows where they are. And he'd yeah. go to the areas and, and stake them out, stake out there, and prowl that neighborhood because he knew it. Everybody in there got phone calls. They all had seen or heard things, had footprints in their backyard. And then when he, when he used to, when he hit, he wouldn't call them beforehand. And then he would, he would go in the house, and he's very, very quiet, apparently. Some people said he, he was quiet, and he couldn't hear a thing. He, he wouldn't wake other people up, just the victims. Their kids, and in one case, the, uh, the man's father from Italy was in his bedroom, sound separate right through the whole thing. And then he'd say, you know, he'd make her tie him, and she'd, he'd tie her, and then he'd go back and retie him. And he always tied all of them so tight, their hands turned black. And I talked to the arresting officer, and listen, he said the guy... So these cuffs are too tight. And the officer's comment was, "Oh, really?" <laughs> <laughs> How ironic! <laughs> I kept telling them all along, and one thing I want to do if you ever catch them, I want to put the cuffs on, check them for a good fit. Yeah, I, you guarantee you that I actually would have had some tight cuffs on if I'd got my hands on it. Yeah. You know, one thing he would again, he would turn off anything that made noise. And he'd have an escape hatch open, and, and I sometimes he'd block the front door, and sometimes he didn't bother. He might spend hours in there, and he'd always eat or drink a couple of beers, and then he was gone. Wow. So, uh, so this this whole DNA thing, um, and the way they got it through private companies, do you think that's going to cause an issue in 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 the court case down the road? I don't think so. I, you know, I don't know. That's something I can think about. And the DA was talking about that. But as I understand what they did, that database is out there. People put it on there themselves. It's just for the public to look at. If that's true, then no, there's no problem at all. You just go in there and, and do your search and find something that matches, and then you got to find anything that comes close to go back and investigate those people. And go. That's why it took them four months once they found a DNA close, close match. I don't see how it could be, but ACLU and some of those people started screening about rights. Yeah. It'd be where it goes. Yeah, well, I, yeah, because because um, they're they're kind of putting someone else's DNA through different companies that at, at, you know you don't really I I don't know I just think that's kind of um, well those people as I understand it. And I don't get into that genealogy stuff very much. They put, they chose to put their DNA out there, public access, so they can find out they got relatives. 
And again, I could be 100% off on that. But that's basically what was happening. So when I say that the Paul Holes and the Zillow Detectives went surfing, they just did exactly that. They started seeing what they could patch up. FBI tried to do that way back in the beginning, or whenever they had DNA started, in the ACLU scream, you know, you're violating rights. So they didn't. I'm not sure they found some way, but publicly they didn't. And yeah. They might have done. Didn't find any hits. Yeah. Well, that, that doesn't make, make sense, though, because, like, Al, before we were talking, you know, me and Al were discussing this just before we brought you on the air, and I guess it's the consent that makes all the difference. I'm consenting to put my DNA out there. But our example was, let's say Al and I are brothers. You find my DNA on a crime scene, and yet you're running an entire family looking for that match. You'll inevitably be running out, and he didn't give consent for this. That's a very good point. I'm not sure how they done handle that. Yeah. I don't see how they can pay very much because you got the same DNA and somebody chooses to use it. That would yeah. be interesting. Yeah, that's kind of what we're, uh, you know, we're, we think more on those terms. We're not, not so much of, uh, I mean, I'm glad that they caught him and, uh, and they did what they did. But you know the 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 way uh, the the world is lately. You just uh, you you don't know who's going to be um, complaining. That's uh, my That's true. yeah. Well, I would hate to see him be turned free over a technicality. I mean, it's been how many years now? Forty, fifty years. You guys have been looking for this guy, and now you've got him. But the method is just so questionable. Well, they didn't get. What they got was a family related to him. They started investigating those families through common sources, I guess, and, and then they went back and found this guy, and they picked up his DNA, and it pinned right down to him. So you're right, it's a good question, but I think it's going to hold up. They must think the same thing in order to try to, but I can't imagine any other way to, to get it, because they just had nothing to go on. I think this will lead to um, other sort of old crimes that we... Uh you know, like Zodiac and stuff like that, you know, you think that uh, that'll come down as well? I think it's a very good good chance it could. I don't know if they got DNA from Zodiac, I don't think so. But I don't think about that case at all. Yeah. But, I mean, there's a good chance it could. You got this guy. It's crazy. It really is. What DNA did they have from this killer to, to compare it with? Was it from a race thing? No, all, all the homicides down south, every one of them, they had DNA that connected them all together. Contra Costa County had three rates where they tested DNA. It's probably because Paul Holes was there. And so that connected down south. Sacramento had some samples. They did Well, first, there was nothing to test. They didn't know what DNA was. But 1992, before I retired, I went to a middle management meeting, and they had a new coroner. He was saying that they didn't have space to store anything. He said he had a a sample of uh, the year's sperm. They said, throw it away. My first thought was, I'll take it home and stick it in the freezer. I thought, I don't want that crap in my refrigerator. My wife should wouldn't like it, so I didn't do it. I wish I had it, because you know, I could have rented a freezer someplace. And then they would know. Uh, there's no question it was him here, but they would know it for a fact. There was one rape in, in Contra Costa. I remember reading about it at the time. They filed a John Doe warrant, which means it's not second limitation doesn't matter as long as that warrant's out there it's, it's still good until the judge throws it out or the guy goes to court 
And I've heard these people talk, and I don't think most of them are aware that that warrant was issued. But it doesn't mean that much because they got homicides down south, you got two in Cordova, and you got at least one, possibly three in Visalia. In fact, there may be an extra one down south, too. Wow. Murdered all over the place. Now, do you think he just stopped murdering um, and decided to be a grandfather and retire? One of our reserve deputies, no reserve, one of our uh, retired deputies, I didn't talk to this person, but Carol Didier's work with did. There's just a few doors. said in the 80s, about the time that they stopped, this guy just blew up like a balloon. He got too fat to do any running. He couldn't go over a He'd crush it. <laughs> so that's all we can theorize. We just don't know how you work in somebody's mind like that. You if you're so feel you inside your mind and you lead to them I don't think anybody normal could. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't imagine um, being his family now. Like, uh, you know, yes. his granddaughters, apparently he has three of them, and uh, and uh, ex-wife and all that. I couldn't imagine uh, um, what it would be like. I get two comments about that. One, I, I, I can't imagine what they're thinking. Number two, and this could be, could fire something out, but there's, there's indications a couple times, maybe two, that this guy had somebody pick him up afterwards. But the one indication that none of the cops will even talk about until all of them, the uh, victim, and, and they both take this matter then when they heard, they heard a horn honk like three times, then there's three, three knocks or something at the door, and three knocks at the window. And I think the man didn't hear all that, but then the woman heard a woman, a woman whispering through the window and, and the suspect whispering back through the window to the woman. Then he heard, she heard the car drive off. So, I mean, that's just a speculation because we had Gallegos and his wife were doing all this kind of stuff. And, and this, I probably didn't shut brought it up. The investigators are probably thinking about it. But we've got yeah. some woman helped him somewhere down the way. Yeah. He may not even been married at the time. I just don't know. Yeah, it, it brings up an uh, interesting point because... Uh, We've covered cases before where people have had their wives um, help them out uh, and be part of these 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 murders. And I, I'm not saying that, of course, we don't know. But um, did did you see that? Were you did you ever watch that CNN special they did just a while back on on the East Area Rapist? Is that the one where they had the panel after everybody was talking? Well, I know you're talking about unmasking a killer. Yeah, that's it. I, I saw part of it, not not all of it. Yeah. I was yeah. thinking of the, the screening they had there in a riverboat in Sacramento. Oh, yeah. 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 I saw part of that. Oh, okay, yeah. No, yeah, I saw part of the, uh, uh, I just saw one part, part four, and uh, uh, they, they talked about his uh, psychological uh, profile, more than anything, and uh, um, also they really emphasized that he had a small penis. Everybody oh, say that. And in January '73, these two sisters, they were, according to the report, they were asked. She volunteered. More, both of them volunteered. He had a small penis. It was he had trouble getting an erection and maintaining erection. wasn't really interested in sex. That fit most of his assaults. There yeah. were times he'd make a one time and then forget about him off and do whatever he did.
would it, would it be fair to say though that that kind of fits into the sociopath, you know, sociopathy of this? Is you know he felt that he was lacking in his manhood, so this was a way for him to regain control or to regain that that power. I I don't know. I couldn't begin to answer that. When I started majoring in psychology in Swift, I figured out the three instructors were nuts. I didn't want to be that way. Maybe I was already, so I became a cop. <laughs> anyway, don't know. <laughs> well, that's a big help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so tough. You know, how can you read? How can you tell? Um, you just can't. Yeah. If you study that stuff, as far as the uh, profile, criminal profile, they're interesting. I don't know how I'd ever use one to catch anybody. But yeah. It would take one of those people to say what's going on in his head, then talk to him and confirm it. Yeah. I, I get that the guy is super angry all the time, especially now, and all the neighbors talk about they call him Crazy Joe or something like that. He's out there yelling and throwing things and fights in the house. Yeah. One of them called him prowling. He's outside their house. The suspect's outside their neighbor's house. They caught him on a bicycle out there or something, or what it was, but doing the same old stuff he did before. <laughs> yeah, but that's a little risky to do it that close, though. I mean... That close to home, you know, to your neighbors? Yeah. He said after that, the guy made sure that they never met each other outside again. No, I don't, uh, <laughs> whatever's driving him, it is, he's being driven. Yeah. If, if you can tell us, what is the suspect saying now, now that he's captured? Ha- has he made any statements or any comments that you know of? When they first arrested him, I talked to the one guy. He was copping out to everything. And uh, how much he copped out to for detail, I simply don't know. But he, he's how they connected, actually connected him to Visalia. He's admitting it all. He didn't deny any of it, I guess. But admitting is one thing, but is he able to provide details and, and you know, evidence that the police held back in order to prove it's the real him? That I don't know. Yeah. They didn't want to share that much. Yeah. They kept most of the chest for four months. But they arrested him before he was even, they were even out of booking. The word got everywhere. They were getting emails and calls. Somebody in the United Kingdom sent an email. I just <laughs> went around the world. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, you know, it's just, that. well, that profile, that doctor on that show profile said that he, uh, um, you know, you're right, because the profilers... <laughs> They talk a lot, but it's it's always better after the fact. Well, it is. I just like it. They talk. I one profiler said, "Well, he he cleared. I think it was the gunfire uh, killer. One of them. He didn't. He made a nice profile. How it fit? I don't know, but it was the guys doing the late work that cleared that case. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't. I, I don't have a lot of faith in a lot of those. Um, uh, but it was good. It's good. I'm glad they called it. Now, I've seen every episode of Criminal Minds, and I have yet to see one fail. Or <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> case go unsolved. Yeah. So, Richard, something that me and Albert, again, discussing before we brought you on, and I'd like to get your take on this. The way they caught him, utilizing the DNA with the 23andMe, um, you know, for lack of better terms, a DNA social forum, how do you see this affecting the, the future? Are they going to have to use this disclaimers, or is it just going to be a, a common knowledge that you gave up your DNA? Now, 
you know, you could be looked at for anything. It's going to take a court decision to say, you know, you put your mouth on your foot, you put that stuff out there, you expose it, that's up to you. It's like putting garbage can on, on the sidewalk, like the Supreme Court messed out public property. It's going to be the same thing. Put it out there, you know, you don't be surprised that somebody grabs it and does something with it. And so I would imagine a lawyer is going to tell those companies that do that, you better put a disclaimer in there. This is why Ancestry and the other ones will not work with the cops. They just won't do it. And then I, from then on, I think this point on, every, every DNA they got is going to go right into that system, find something close enough to justify working, investigating, you know, the background of anybody that matches. In this case, it was just a family. They started looking for relatives and it took them a while, but they did a really good job of it. Do you think they're going to be able to start future profiling? Like, okay, this man was a killer. His son was involved in crime. His son was involved in crime. Five generations down the road, uh, we're going to be watching you because you have this DNA. That's a real interesting question. And I hadn't thought about that because Gallegos, his father was a homicidal maniac, and Gallegos was. And I, I can't name any others, but I've heard of it happening before, like a genetic type thing. It could be genetic, it could be the, the family dynamics, and it's just passed on down the line. But that, that's a real good point. But they're trying to carry DNA to the point they can bring it out and make sure your picture exactly what you look like. Probably how you think and all that. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they might get that good. They were major children now. Well, they're talking about putting DNA into computers. I, I watched a documentary on that, and they either can't do it or very close to doing it. A quantum computer and with DNA, and that's something else. I mean, stand back, don't put it into a robot. You'll be working for the robot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that's all right. See, as we get older, it won't matter. It's for the young ones to figure out. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing that I observed on this. You know, when I, this, I did the interview with whoever it was yesterday, Washington Post. And you asked me about differently then and now. My comment to them was we hadn't had horseshoes invented yet when we were doing it compared to today. For us then, <laughs> what's going on today was then Star Trek. But we were like the old cars, you know, old model bills, you bought the car, like, easing so far they were out. Today you got the new model. They got all these bells and whistles and technology I can't even really comprehend. And it's just a huge difference. And it could be harder and harder to get away with any crimes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the the DNA is getting better and better too. So uh, well, it is. And they got the cell phones and all this computer stuff. We have manual typewriters and you know pick up the telephone and dial it. <laughs> we had those military phones, which were you know they used in World War Two, I think. <laughs> Got to crank it up and call Sparky, you know. Okay. When you when you look back, I mean, how in the hell do we do anything? Because we we cleared a lot of cases. I think the only one that's all rape series in Sacramento that I'm aware of. All the rest of them, they caught everybody. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that uh, it was efficient enough with so little tools. Yeah, let me clarify something. I said you caught everybody. The early bird rapist. They just never officially arrested. We know who he was. There's no question who that guy was. And we, uh, almost all the evidence was just based on what his friends and family said. And twice, I got a search warrant for body tissue or body fluids and hair. 
And then they, the guy serving it screwed it up, went back to the judge and got another one. Both times the judge offered an arrest warrant, but I refused to decline because I was sure the minute the word got to his, his friends, they were going to change their story, and they did. All of a sudden, he was just a good guy, and we were picking on him. Yeah. So he left uh, California, went to Whitefish, Montana in May, came back two or three days, came back a short time later, a couple of days, left again. And then a few months later, the state rate starts up. And I can almost guarantee you that if he hadn't copped out and we were going to court, they would have said, well, you got the wrong guy, and they would have cut him loose anyway. That's going to be real uh, frustrating for um, a detective like yourself to be uh, on a case, and when you know someone that is guilty, but they don't get convicted. Oh, it really is. We had DNA who'd been dead in the water in no time. I wouldn't say, well, he did 41 rapes. He did it over a period of about, oh, I think six years, something like that. He, his last rape was in February, February 4th, 76. I promoted an inspector two days later. And a couple of weeks later, I got all the reports on that case. And then I started going through it. And it was pretty clear it was him. The hard evidence we had was the patrol officer took eight driver's licenses, showed it to the gal. She said, that looks like him. And we had his van. And the rest of it was just, Now, California's got the death penalty uh, right now, but it seems like the um, Supreme Court of California um, never lets it happen. Um, so do you, see that, do you see that as how it's going to go with him as well? Yeah, you've had uh, public demand might be enough. California, I don't want to say about it. I was born here. I'm not a California. I live here. But Brown and some of these other people, then Gunnar Moon being some of the others, and as far as I'm concerned, they've given the state away. Yeah. Yeah, like 900 people on death row. Give me a break. Either kill them all at once, you turn loose, put them, commute the sentence of life or something, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I noticed that. I was working on a, a book, and uh, it, it, it just seems like they, they've overturned like 65 out of 73 death penalties or something. Well, when Brown was governor the first time, he appointed uh, Roseburg as the Supreme Court justice, and she never tried a, court, a case of any kind in her entire career. And she won a campaign. <laughs> How did that happen? Because he's, he's, he's a Jesuit. He's not really a politician or anything else. Yeah. And the, uh, she, every time a homicide or a capital punishment case came before her, she had commuted, without exception. And then when she started running for re-election, she went and campaigned. That we were trying to turn this into, I don't know, a bloody state or something, kill all these people. She, was, she used her personal opinion or prejudice as opposed to what the law said. And it hasn't changed since. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I heard that, that when I was going through that, that it's a tough state to get anybody killed. Between the 
them and uh, Jerry Brown, you're not going to get anything. So. No, no, you're not. Ask any cop in the 70s about Chief Justice Byrd and Rose Byrd and see what you say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you get to be tried by a jury of your peers, but what they see fit isn't fit enough. That's right. Yeah. They overrule the jury every time. Yeah. Well, and, and so how many of these, these actual rapes and murders are they going to be able to get this guy on? Down south, again, was it ten murders down there? Yeah, they have DNA and all of them. Up here, you got majorities. Unless he cops out, I don't think they have enough evidence. By Syria, you've got a, you've got one. I don't think there's any evidence there except the gun. Well, you can't do that. Just the woman. Yeah. If he admits to the burglary that when that gun was stolen, he used to kill. Snelling, you've got that. They have two young girls down there that were murdered. One of them, uh, I can't think of the guy's name. I read about it. I think they have the see, but he was convicted basic on nothing and he died in prison and all I can tell you is what I read in some of the reports and stuff and he was the guy sent to prison to die and he hadn't done anything wrong they had nothing on him at all found a notebook or something of his a few feet away from where she was found they figured that was enough and then down south they have the the ONS and Britain livestock victims but there was another woman her name might have been Taylor and they found her and decided she was not the ONS victim, but what you read about it, she might have been, she was bludgeoned to death, I think. But I, I think he's got, what, 10, 12, 13. Now, now here's a, this is just a curiosity question for me, because, you know, again, I have the spirit of a profiler. And early in the interview, we were talking about him taking items from break-ins. Now, that's a really hard habit to break. Now that they have him, they've captured him, I feel it's safe to say that they've served a search warrant on his home. Did he keep any items from these murders or rapes? They put up two big tents right out in front of the, of the house by the garage door and I think the house front door. And they spent something like, up until yesterday, maybe they're still there today. They've been in there all that time. They were digging in the backyard. And I'm just, I, think they, I think they left yesterday. But they took a lot of stuff. What they took, we won't know until they go to court. Because all the cops mm-hmm. that I know involved in this, once it, he was arraigned, they said, well, I can't say anymore. And it's fine with me. It makes sense. Yeah, that's understandable. Huh? Yeah. We, we don't need it that bad for the show, do we, Al? We're not going <laughs> to touch that one. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> I will say they spent at least four days there going through everything. and They saw them taking boxes of stuff out. Hopefully they found what they need. Yeah. If, if I'm right, and if they do it right, and this is my opinion, they would have searched the daughter's and the wife's house, too, if they were still around. Yeah. And then they might be getting cooperation from the family. The family could be surprised as everybody else was. Yeah. But wife daughters, it, it, it would be nice to know, you know, if they're at least looking at them, given the fact that you said that there's a possibility of a female accomplice. Well, I'm, I'm sure they're looking. There, there's zero evidence that I'm aware of, but I'm, I'm sure they're looking. They're, pretty, they're all pretty experienced, especially the homicide guys. They might just walk off and, and just say, oh, she's okay, she's a nice kid. They'll, yeah. they'll do something with it. The, the, the profiler on the uh, CNN report said that the... Uh, um, whoever he was married to um, would have had an S&M relationship with him and that 
they would have to be into that kind of lifestyle because he would not be able to live without it. I, I have to agree with that. I wouldn't have even thought about that. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So... Um, uh, you know, uh, it, that it's kind of, uh, but you know, to tell you the truth, I think this is going to go, uh, pretty big time. I think you'll see some, um, lawyers that are celebrities coming out and, uh, working on his case. I don't think this is. Yeah, they're, they're after the notoriety, you're right. Yeah. In Michelle McNamara's book, they're, they're going to make that to a movie, I'm certain. Yeah. When they did the 48-hour program on it, I watched it. It was about her, not the book. And considering where her husband worked and who's who uh, contracted her to do the book, I, I tried to get people to bet me there'd be a movie, but nobody would. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, HBO or NBO or something like that just bought the rights to her book recently. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it, too. I, I, I'm halfway through that book. And, uh, yeah, it was, it's, it's, uh, it's good, but... Not so good. I, um, that's well, the I have two things to say about it. One, she wasn't freaking nice to me, but we were, we were having another one of our arguments. Two, she added nothing to the investigation. Right. Everything in there you can find in the other books written about it. Yeah. Yeah, and she did, uh, for me, way too much. Um, uh, when When the author gets personal, she had a lot of parts that went on way too long. Yeah. It didn't make sense. It didn't connect to what the book was. So, uh, but rest in peace. Uh, she's not. She's no longer alive. I, I don't know if you know that, Kevin. But, but. Well, yeah. yeah. You can't disparage the dead, I guess. But yeah. We we we'd have our arguments, and then we'd get back friendly again. And then we had an argument. We were starting to get friendly again, and she died. Yeah. She was really young too. She wasn't she still in her forties? I think. Yeah, forty-seven or. Matter of fact, that's, we, we raise mandarins commercially, and I send her a box every year. And if I didn't say unless she'd buy one, yeah, we had lunch up here a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, mm. it's, it's it's too bad, you know. Um, but interesting, interesting. We'll see where it goes. Uh, so, what's your plans now? Um, I guess you're retired, and uh, you're trying to stay out of the limelight. Yeah, that would be nice, but. You know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing in the limelight. Really, it's, it's funny when I when I put, put first uh, uh, Russ Hollis, retired special investigator, asked me in 2009 to write down what I could remember. It started out with about 25 pages and got a little more. I, I could not gain access to the reports, even though I had them all at one time and gave them back to the sheriff's department. He was here myself. So somebody sent me a. a CD with all that stuff on. I didn't know where it came from. No return address. I, you know, I, took, I took it with. And I told my wife, I'm going to make a book out of this. Like, you know, tongue in cheek, call myself an author. I can share that a lark. And the little things like that kept coming up. And then my daughter-in-law emailed me yesterday and said her brother over in Japan saw the news about the year and saw my name in there. And then her sister in Canada did too. Yeah. <laughs> my wife, I'm international. Yeah, yeah, you're you're gonna be the hot stuff. Uh, yeah, like I, 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 I'm surprised. I'm surprised they caught him, and I'm surprised all this happened. And uh, it, it was just crazy. And uh, like I said, we were getting requests. I had like three requests to get you on the show, and I was planning to just a little sooner now. <laughs> 
they kind of pushed it up. Yeah, they they pushed the date up, but uh, uh, no, I, I I appreciate that you take the time and uh, you're doing it, and um, and uh, again, let's uh, plug your your book. And it's called uh, Hunting a Psychopath: The East Area Rapist, Original Night Stalker Investigation, and the the author and our guest has been uh, Richard Shelby. Thank you for being on the show. Glad to help out. To find out more about our show, guests, or listen to a previous show, visit our website at www.somethingweirdmedia.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! How dare you? If you're lying to me. This has been a production of Something Weird Media.